Given that this appears to be a deliberate act, the method, and this being an iconic site, we are treating it as a terrorist incident, and the investigation is being led by officers from the Counterterrorism Command. That's Neil Bazu, and he is the Assistant Police Commissioner of the City of London, England. You can tell by the accent. And he's referring to uh, a car. Um, he calls it a terrorist incident, as a, at least so far. A car smashing into a barrier outside the UK's parliament, injuring a number of pedestrians. Nobody killed, happy to hear that. And, and so the question becomes... Uh, were they smart to put barriers there? I would say yes. Should we be doing that to a greater extent? I don't know. But I have Mubin Sheikh on the line, and he's a former CSIS operative and a counterterrorism expert. We've spoken with him before. Mubin, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Pleasure to have you. Now, you've taken a look at some of the details. What what we've heard is that uh, police flooded central London streets, cordoned off the city's government district. This was early this morning, so as we slept after a speeding car plowed into cyclists and crashed outside Parliament in what authorities are treating as an act of terrorism. Are you accepting of it as that? Well, I mean, if uh, if um, uh, Met Police uh, Counterterrorism Commander taking the investigation, then at least we can assume that for the moment, um, which does beg the question, how much do you assume, you know, a particular kind of act is terrorism, given that, you know, the, the type of tactic that's used, uh, using a vehicle ramming attack, um, you know, that alone, of course, puts that kind of lens on the situation. But there there must be a little bit more to this. Uh, I know they're trying to identify who the suspect is. He's currently uncooperative at the moment. Um, but um, they're not saying, uh, they, I guess they still have yet to identify him properly, but they're not saying whether or not they believe he's already known uh, to either MI5, the Domestic Security Intelligence, or Counterterrorism Police. And that's why we're you and I are talking a little bit about uh, something in the dark, in the sense that we don't know. I mean, if we go back to April and what happened up on uh, the north part of Young Street, that was uh, urban right. terrorism, but it certainly wasn't politically inspired. It was uh, a guy with a problem. And we don't know that this isn't uh, any more or any less the same thing. We don't know anything. Here's what we do know, that in the area that he decided to choose, uh, after a, a couple of previous attacks in the same area, they installed uh, stanchions, um, they installed bollards, they installed uh, barriers of other sorts, and there's a limited amount of damage that can be done. Now, granted, he hit some bikers and so forth. I think there were three people injured, and, and one was uh, released at the scene. The other two are apparently going to be fine. So uh, he didn't do too much damage, and it makes you wonder what the inspiration was. And if you really wanted to do damage, why would you go into a place that um, essentially was protected by barriers. Why? I, I'm, I'm not suggesting this to anybody, but why wouldn't you pick a place that isn't? Yeah. Well, I mean, um, there are a number of things at play here. One is, of course, we once we figure out what who this person is and their background, that will, of course, you know, tell us the the level of sophistication of the planning, a membership to any particular group. Um, you know, other reports uh, or other British media reported that a vehicle, his vehicle or the vehicle used in the attack was spotted, uh, you know, earlier. I mean, he drove around for eight hours, apparently, in other uh, target-rich areas, so to speak. Um, so, so maybe it just seems that he wasn't, he had not done any um, pre-surveillance. Uh, this seems like a spontaneous type attack where the person will drive around. They've decided they're going to hit something, but they don't know who or where. Um, so maybe that could answer for why this guy ended up in a place where there are all these barriers, which goes to show that, I mean, the barriers do work.
Well, which is where I wanted to take you next. Uh, when we had uh, the incident on Young Street, very particularly that incident, not only that incident, uh, we talked about, and I think you and I may indeed have, have spoken about it, we talked about whether we could protect uh, major landmarks. Uh, some of them are protected by nature of what they are, but CN Tower, Union Station, um, some of the hotels might want to do it themselves. Um, places like uh, the Canadian Opera, major, major public venues that might be subject to attack, and very particularly streets where we have wide sidewalks where you can get uh, dozens of pedestrians um, in in very tight groups that could be seriously harmed, and indeed many killed, if somebody, uh, for whatever reason, decided to use a vehicle to do this. Are, are we protecting ourselves as much as we should, and um, should we take a lesson from what we've seen in London? Yeah, you know, these uh, there's a certain level of tolerance, obviously. I mean, certain kind of crime is going to happen no matter what, and there's only so much we can do. There's never going to be perfect security. But but actually, you're starting to see more of these uh, types of barriers. Um, you know, whenever there's a street festival, that's certainly something I do is I'm always looking for where are the security points. Like, how do they have this set up? Uh, in Montreal, I was there not too long ago. It was a huge, you know, I mean, there were thousands of people there, and, I mean, they had like a ring model security uh, where, I mean, it would be very difficult even if somebody did try to do something, you know, the, the likelihood of them escaping uh, would be very low. So these, these are the kinds of uh, steps that are already being taken. A lot of times they're very subtle. It could be the placement of certain vehicles in certain places or uh, closing off certain cities to only make other streets more accessible by vehicle, which is, you know, further away from where pedestrians might be. So... Uh, you know, for those who look, uh, you you will start to see more of these um, measures adopted. Very good. I appreciate very much you taking the time to talk to us, and I guess we can both celebrate the fact that uh, although there are a couple of people injured, they're going to recover, and that nobody was killed in this attack. Yeah, that's right. And uh, the terrorists will try again, assuming it's terrorism. But I mean, they'll try again, and they just got to get lucky once. So, yeah, long term fight. Their their luck is. Uh, it's the bane of our existence when it comes yeah. to terrorism. Mubin Sheikh, thank you so much. Also welcome, cheers. All right, that's Mubin Sheikh, and uh, Mubin uh, joins us uh, periodically when we're talking about incidents like this, something that is suspected of being terrorism. He is a former CSIS operative and counterterrorism expert himself. So uh, he knows whereof he speaks. We're going to uh, assemble the panel in the next couple of minutes and uh, get into a couple of things. I think it's uh, worthy of note that this afternoon, the uh, government at Queen's Park did their voting, and uh, the changes to the City of Toronto Act that will create uh, from a 44-person council a new council of 25 seats passed, which means uh, it's third reading. All that's required is for the lieutenant governor to sign it into law, which uh, usually that is... Um, I mean, tonight could be tomorrow morning, but it won't be any later than that because she has her official residence in the very same building, the Pink Palace at Queen's Park. And uh, so it's law. So that, that uh, we'll talk about this with the panel. Uh, wondering whether uh, lawyer candidate Rocco Ashampong has anything to say, given that this is the case in a court of law. I mean, he's going to argue that the law is uh, not something that should have been brought in now because it's in the, uh, quote, middle of an election, unquote. So we'll talk about that, and uh, we'll talk about the fact that there are still some councillors who are holding meetings, as we discussed with Sue Ann Levy, uh, where they're uh, whining about the fact that they don't get to 
run in their old seat, which was one of 44 and, and soon to be one of 47 before the province came along and said, no, ain't going to happen. Uh, this is going to be one of 25, uh, wards, districts, ridings, call them whatever you want. Also want to talk a little bit more about the, uh, the never ending sex ed discussion, because, uh, that seems to get a new twist on it every single day as we move closer to the return to school when parents, I've said this before, are really going to sit up and take notice because there are a lot of groups coming along and saying, no, that's not going to happen either. It's amazing how much is going on where uh, there's a reaction that essentially consists of, no, that's not going to happen when you and I both know, yeah, it pretty well is. I'm Peter Sherman and I'm in for John Oakley. This is Global News Radio 640 Toronto.